blessing to be here today. Blessing to have you here joining us for our services this morning. Our scripture reading um, kind of goes in along with our Sunday school wrap-up and summary today. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available, so just raise your hand and they'll bring a Bible that you can use throughout our service this morning. Be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 42, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Please follow along with me as I read. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. and They missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We heat, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seals of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. She said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. 
but she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all this, all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he's returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When, Ab when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let, my, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord when you, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from, saving, and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who speak to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life and the life of my Lord, excuse me, and seek to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. The lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pains of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you have hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. 
the Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word as we speak from this text and other texts that surround this account in David's life. We're going to pause for a word of prayer. After prayer, a choir will come with a special music and then the preaching of God's word. So as you remain standing, please uh, pause with me for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come to hear your word, to hear what you have to say to us and to apply it in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you for each one gathered here today that you allowed to be a part of this service. And we pray, Lord, that you would help open our minds and our understanding so we might get from your word what you have for us and that we might glean from your truth and apply it rightly to our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who takes your word and, and bends our ear to your word, allows us to hear it, allows us to understand it, allow us to be comforted, allow us to be convicted and to be challenged and to challenge us to put into practice the truths from your word. We thank you that you've given your spirit to all in each and every one of your believers. All those who are born again have your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this. We thank you that the world does not have your spirit, does not have the benefit of hearing your truth with that same conviction and that same comfort. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've reserved that for your people, and it's a ministry to us, and we thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, for those who couldn't be with us today, we pray that you would be with them, that you would heal in those cases where sickness is involved, that you would bless with a level of comfort so that they might continue to serve and worship you and uh, be an example and point others to Christ in their own lives. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Entitled the message today, God's intervention and care for his people. We've read 1 Samuel chapter 25 verses 1 through 42, and we see God working in the life of David. At this point in David's life, he has a king that's hunting him for his life. Saul was very jealous of David. Saul knew that Saul was king, but he knew that God had judged him as a poor king who refused to completely obey the Lord, and that God had raised up this young man, David, a gifted man, a talented man, but a man whose main attribute was that 
He loved God. He had a heart for God. And Saul knew that David was favored by God. And it just made Saul jealous. In a jealous rage, he wanted to kill David. That's amazing to let jealousy come over you that way. He had to realize, look, this is God projecting his favor on David. This is God's plan. Not David's fault because he's favored of the Lord. But David is a picture. He's a picture of us as we are favored of the Lord. But more so, he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who's favored, highly favored of the Lord. Now, being favored of the Lord doesn't mean everything in your life is rosy. And everything is great and goes well. And other people look at you, they sometimes think that way. I suppose Saul would have looked at David and said, look, this young man, he's handsome, he's talented, and one day he's going to be king. Jesus was a young man, gifted and destined to be king, to be ruler, not just of Israel, but ruler of the entire creation. And so Saul had this tremendous jealousy, and he desired to kill David. And here's, here's to show you, I want you to see through all of this, God's favor and how he intervenes on David's behalf. And if it's one thing I want you to get out of it is, if you're a child of God, then you're favored by the Lord, and you have him in every step and phase of your life, even when the most powerful people alive are against you. That's what it was for David. We have some, we have some of that in, in, in our culture today. Some of the most powerful people today are taking out good people or trying to take them out. Amen. You need to realize that God is for you. He is protecting for his purpose that he has for you. Amen. And when God said to David, you one day will be king, he meant it. Amen. And no matter how powerful Saul was or how well, his schemes were he was not going to prevent God's purpose. And the same is true of me and you as we're connected to God. Amen. Nobody can take us out of God's favor. And nobody, as we learned in Job, can thwart the purpose that God has for us. Amen. We need to receive that. We need to understand that. And I hope you get a, a big dose of that in the message today. Let's look at a few things in, back in David's life. We're going to travel through 1 Samuel today in, in, in a couple chapters, chapters 23, 24, 25, 27, and 29. So be prepared for that. That's where we're going to be parked at today. 1 Samuel 23, I'm going to start with. You would think it can't be a blessing of God to be hated by the richest and most powerful man in the kingdom. That's where David was, hated by Saul, who was king. 
But God chose his favor by in Saul's own household, David won God's favor. Saul had a son, a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were close friends. Look at verse 15 of 1 Samuel 23. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horus and strengthened his hand in God and said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant be before the Lord. David remained at Horus, and Jonathan went home. We see here, a relationship, a strong relationship, a friendship that David and Jonathan have. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's corrupt today that people are trying to strain this relationship into something it has never been and never was. And it was some, in some way some kind of a homosexual man-man love thing. Far be it from that. If you knew David, if you knew Jonathan, these men were mighty men of God. Nothing close to that. It just shows, though, that mighty men of God can have real close relationships that are based on their love for God. Notice what Jonathan says. I know that you're going to be king one day. Why? Because God has said that to you. And basically, Jonathan says, David, as you trust God, I trust God for you. I can see God working his purpose in you. So Jonathan is, is conflicted. He has a father who's king that he honors, but he knows his father is wrong. He has a David, a friend who he loves, and he knows that he needs to protect David from his father, and he does that. And so David goes in hiding. I want to take a look as we continue in this chapter that Saul begins to pursue David. He goes to a place, we won't read all of it, but look at verse 21. Saul says, may you be blessed by the Lord for you have had compassion on me. Make, go make yet more sure. What he's saying is to them is, look, they're reporting that, hey, Saul, we, we, we can spot David for you. We can spy, we can find out where he is, and, and Saul says, yeah, do that, please, because I want to hunt him down and I want to kill him. You can help me find him. And so they get in league and in agreement with Saul, and they promise to, uh, to, to tell him where David is. But I want you to look at verse 22. Go make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for he, for it is, Excuse me, for it is told me that he is very cunning. <laughs> Saul says, now, if you tell me where he is, make sure you, you got good, good news or good information on it, because David is very cunning. So, you know, God has given David this gift, <laughs> and David knows how to, to stay out of trouble, out, out, of, out of Saul's reach. He's not going to stay in one place for a long time. But Saul is pursuing, pursuing him, and he knows that David is coming, cunning. And look at verse 25 and 26. Saul sends a band of men after David. 
says in verse 25, Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Next part I call up one side and down the other. Look at it. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurried to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Now, all right, so you got Saul who has, he basically has like a SWAT team, special forces guys that's going after David. And he's getting very close. He's closing in on David. I want you to see how God intervenes. David is running for his life from a man who's king and his army. And look what happens. Verse 27. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Now, you think that's just by accident? (laughs) First of all, it shows you the intensity of of, of Saul's wickedness and aggression towards David. He's got other things to worry about as a king in the land. He's got enemies that really want to hurt him. David is not a threat to him. Not that way. And yet he's sending part of the forces to go after David. And while he's doing that, he's zeroing in on David, about to catch him. And a messenger comes to Saul and says, hey, we got trouble over here. We got to pull off of this job and go chase down these Philistines over here. (laughs) God intervenes in David's life to rescue him from A wicked, violent, powerful man. Intervention by God. And so it says here, verse 28, So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. (laughs) The Rock of Escape. He was closing in on David, almost had him. But then, out of nowhere, a messenger comes and takes him away. This isn't the only case. Let's look at something else in David's life in the very next chapter. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 7. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Look, he hasn't given up yet. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David. Now, let me ask you something. How many men is he after? He's after David. Now, David has a little army himself, but Saul takes 3,000, not just anyone, special forces this is, 3,000 chosen men to pursue David. Have you ever felt like somebody was chasing you down? <laughs> Have you ever felt like somebody had it in for you? I've talked to people who say, you know, I feel like, you know, my, 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 my boss on the job or somebody else in some other department or, you know, they just have it out for me. Some feel like it's, it's somebody in their own family who's, who's really after them or maybe it's somebody in the neighborhood or maybe you, uh, uh, somebody in, on, on your, on, at school or, or whatever. You just feel like there are people who are out to get you. And, you know, that, that can be the case. It certainly was the case with David. 
You need to know, as in the case of David, that God was working in the little details of his life. And that's what I want you to see in this. In the first instant, we have that, you know, if you're talking in our day, Saul gets a phone call at the last second saying, hey, you got to take care of the Philistines over here. And he leaves. Now he comes back and David's in a whole different place now. But he's still out to get David. And so we look at um, uh, the end of verse 2, verse 3 of 1 Samuel 24. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul, Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now you've got to get this picture. Saul and his band of 3,000 chosen men are hunting David down. And while they're going into the mountains and into the caves, there, there's, there's this one spot where David's men are hiding. Saul's got to use the bathroom. So he goes off into this lonely cave to use the bathroom. You can imagine Strips down, takes down his clothes, finds a little lonely spot, and uses the bathroom right there. <laughs> In the small details of just going to the bathroom, <laughs> God is working in David's life. Saul doesn't realize that, but while he's doing his business here, further along in the cave is David's band of men. Can you imagine? They're watching like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. This is Saul, who's right there. He's unprotected because he's, he went to get some privacy, right? None of his soldiers are around, but he doesn't know we are right there. So look at what happens. Verse 6, uh, verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seemed good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. <laughs> For our young ones, he's like a ninja, right? He sneaks in very, you can imagine Saul, you know, disrobed over here, taking care of business over here. David comes from way over here, takes his robe, and just cuts a piece off of it and goes back to where his men are. Why does he cut the piece off? Well, you'll see later. While Saul is taking care of his business, his outer garment off, he probably, you know, took, took his sword off and set it aside. He is totally unprotected in every way. You heard the story about getting caught with your pants down. Well, Saul is there caught with his pants down. David could do anything thing he wanted to, what he decided to do is, I'm just going to prove to this man something. And so he comes, he takes a, a cut, takes tears or cuts a piece off of Saul's robe that he took off to go to the bathroom. Verse 5, and afterward, David's heart, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. What is David saying here? He says, I'm not going to take it into my own hand 
to do what God has already said he's going to do. God anointed Saul as king. As wicked as he was, God put him in that place. He recognized God's sovereignty, not only for his present situation, but he recognized God's sovereignty for his future. Recognize and trust in it. Let me ask you today, are you trusting in God? Are you walking with the Lord? Or, or do you feel it necessary that you have to go out of God's plan and make something happen? You got to step out because God ain't doing enough and ain't doing it fast enough. And you are concerned for your life. So you got to take some action that God hasn't yet taken. David started to think along that line, but then he said, no, 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 I can't do that. For one, God has appointed this man in, in, in my life, in this situation, as wicked, as evil as he is. But God is, he's saying, God put him there. God will take him out. And I trust they got to do it in a way that doesn't jeopardize my character and what he's called me to do. So David told his men, no, mm -mm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take him out that way. God's going to take him out in his own way. Verse 7, so David persuaded his men with these words. You can imagine that. David had a, a, a band of mighty men, and he had to hold them back. <laughs> they, they, they would have been like, David, well, look, you don't have to do it. Just give me the word, and I'll do it, and I'll sleep good tonight. But David said, no, I'm not going to let you do it. So he persuaded them with these words, did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up, left the cave, and went on his way, Right? Verse 8, afterward David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Now why would David do that? It's not the man that deserved the honor, it's the position. David recognized that though Saul's character didn't match his position, he would respect the position that God had placed him in. He honored that. Verse 9, And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe, I did not kill you. You may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. See what David is saying? I'm going to trust the Lord. Because God hadn't told David to take Saul out. But he told David he certainly will be placed as king one day. God has told you certain things that he has for you. Are you willing to wait and do it God's way? Or are you anxious to put it in your own hands and do it the way that God has not designed for you to have it? Trust God. Trust him. 
In essence, this is a test for David, isn't it? God is saying, I'm going to appoint you king, David. But let's see what your character is. Let's see if you're willing to trust me and to wait for me. Also in this chapter, I want you to see Saul's fake, phony confession and repentance. It's not repentance because it's not genuine. But let's see how phony he is. Verse 16. I'm in 1 Samuel 24, verse 16. You with me? As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Now, he sounds convincing. He looks convincing. He's even very emotional at this time. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good where I have repaid you evil. Now, that's the truth. So, in in other words, he gives a confession, and he speaks the truth in his confession. Confession is agreeing with God and saying the truth about something, but confession alone doesn't mean you've turned from sin. You can acknowledge sin. Most people don't really acknowledge sin. They just kind of twist it and turn it and blame it on somebody else. But some can even say, hey, I know what I, would, what I have done is wrong, and Saul does that. But is that enough? Verse 18, you have declared this day how you have dealt with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. So Saul is saying to David, look, I know that what God has said is true, that he is going to appoint you king and you're worthy of that. And he basically is saying, in essence, I'm not worthy of it. It's right for God to cut me off as king. But is this really repentance? It's a confession. It's it's admitting the truth. Let me tell you, he simply admits to what God has already said. Many people are going to begin to agree with God in desperation time. Folks today say, I know that the Bible is true. And I can see it coming more and more but have not yielded their life in submission to God. This is Saul. It's a shame that we can be in church and grow up in church and understand and know truth and only go that far. He tells the truth about David. I know your character, man. You're a good man. I know that God has appointed you, and one day you will be king. And then he, he shows that he really believes what he's saying, and he says, look, when you get to be king, basically, you know, don't trash my family. I want to tell you something. David honored that. He honored that. Look at verse 
22, and David swore this to Saul. He honored it. He honored it in several ways. You can look through the, the history written in the, in the Word of God. And you can see that one way he honored that is he loved Jonathan, Saul's son. And he honored Jonathan. He honored Jonathan's offspring as well. You see, when God has told you what, when God has placed his favor on you, you don't have to seek and revenge on other people. You don't have to even seek to put people in their place. God's going to do that. He's going to do it in his own way. I'm not saying you don't have to stand up for yourself. David certainly was a man who would do that. But he didn't have to go out and seek revenge. He let God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. God says that. And guess what else he says? I will repay. He don't say, I might repay. I'm going to repay. I'm going to take care of justice, and I'm going to do it right. Trust me and wait for it. David was willing to do that. Now, I want you to also see something else. Then Saul went home. What's the next word, ESV? But David and his men went up to the stronghold. David was not convinced that Saul's confession and all his true words meant that he had changed his character. That's the difference between uh, confession and repentance. Confession is just your mouth. Repentance is your whole being. It's your character. It is a change of action. A lot of people talk and tell the truth. But few live that truth. Saul just said the inevitable. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And when he does that, have mercy on my house. But he hadn't turned from his wicked ways. And we see as we go on, he still pursued David and tried to kill him. David was not fooled by a phony testimony. It reminds me of Jesus in John chapter 2 at the end of that chapter. He says he knew what was in man. He wasn't convinced that, that, that their phony believism, their phony words of faith meant anything. David wasn't tricked by that. He says he went up to where? To the stronghold. You would think after that he said, oh, okay, Saul, we can go home to the palace together. Uh-uh, No. Thank you, Saul. I'll watch you leave. He watched him left, got his men, and went to his protection. He kept in a place of safety. Some people think because you're holy, because you're righteous, because you love God, that you're stupid. I say that because I get that with myself. It's like you're a pastor, so you, you don't really know. You trust everybody. No, I don't. I trust nobody but the Lord. I trust sinners to be sinners. I trust liars to be liars. I trust wicked people to be wicked and keep on being wicked. David knew what was up. He could see right through the phony words of Saul that his character behind, all the words he said were true, but his character hadn't changed a bit. David went back to the stronghold. <laughs> know the heart. You know why I know a wicked heart? You know why I know? You know why I'm so in tune with it? Because my heart was wicked desperately wicked, and it needed Jesus' salvation. 
And so I know wicked, wickedness when I see, you know, we used to say as a young folk, it take one to know one. Amen. It sure does. And I know it well. You know, I know a liar because I was a liar. You know, I know sinful and wickedness and all that goes in the heart because it's in my heart and I know it and I had to be saved from it. So people act like because you came from this or because you, you love the Lord that you are ignorant to man's devices. And in fact, it's the other way around. It's them that are ignorant and are fooled by man's sinfulness and those who have been changed by that are enlightened and know what's going on. I want you to see by a man simply using the bathroom that God preserved his people. <laughs> Saul stepped out to use the bathroom, and in that little simple event, God is protecting his people. He's protecting David. He has that same protection for his purpose, for his people again. And then the chapter that we read is the chapter, I wanted to tie this in with the Sunday school because you see the first, first uh, chapter 25, the first word, now Samuel died. Not a lot of comment there, but you would imagine Samuel was the one who anointed David as king while Saul was still king. And Samuel would have been the one godly man that David had in his corner who could somehow put some pressure on, on, on Saul to, to be what he should be. And now Samuel is out of the picture. You can imagine Saul, uh, uh, David thinking, oh man, I'll never come out of hiding now. Now that Samuel is gone, there'll be no restraint on Saul to do what he should do or to, to not do what he's trying to do. We read this story. You remember the story of Nabal and Abigail? David made a request, an innocent, humble request. He's basically saying, look, I'm hiding from a man who's trying to kill me. Can you give me a hand? Basically, that's what he said. I'm hiding. I'm running from a man trying to kill me. Give me a hand. Nabal, his name means fool. And his character shows every bit of that. And yet he's preserved by the wisdom and grace of his wife, Abigail. David made a request. Nabal's response is, who is you? I ain't finna give you nothing. Notice, you'll notice the difference between Nabal's response to David and Abigail's response. Abigail's response shows great faith. She says what Saul says, that David is certainly going to be king, but she acts on it by faith, where Saul did not change his character at all. Can we jump ahead a little bit? Look at, look at um, Abigail's response to David. Verse 26, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Now, that's an important phrase. David could have took it in his own hand to, to eliminate all of Nabal's men just, just because they did not help him. But he didn't do that. And Abigail reminds him that if he had done that, he'd be trying to save with his own hand. That's the same thought going back to the previous chapter of why David only cut the corner off of Saul's garment 
because he refused to give deliverance by his own hand. It shows that he would rather trust in God than try to bring it about himself. Look, if you're a believer, there's one hero. It's not you. It's not me. It's the Lord. We need to trust and live by faith in that hero. It's the Lord's hand that we look at. Not the government hand, not somebody else's hand. It's the Lord's hand that we trust in, and it's certainly not our own hand. So David shows in a practical way that he is to trust in his hand, in, in the Lord's hand, not in his own doing. And Abigail is just appealing to that same thing. She said, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to prevent you from doing something that, that would hurt you. But I want you also to see she says this, now, this is the end of verse 26, and now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. She recognized Nabal is a fool, even though she loves him, that's her husband. And he's, gonna, he's got it coming. Continue, verse 27, now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord, here it is, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. And then let's skip down to verse 30. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has pointed you prince over Israel, she, by faith, knows that what God has said he'll do, he's going to do. Now, Saul says the same thing. David, you're going to be king. I know that. But she acts by faith by bringing a present to David and saying, look, Please disregard the foolishness of my husband and his harsh, foolish words and accept the gift and spare our lives. David does just that. I want you to see here, God has put a woman into David's life to keep him from acting rashly when he was about to, he was about to go off. <laughs> Can you picture? He's about to go off on Nabal. He said, look, this dude, man, we've been, we've been protecting all of his sheep. All the shepherds know us. They know us. They know we could have done anything to them, but we preserved. We didn't touch a single one. And now we come and just ask him for a little help. And he basically spit in our face. David said, hey, guard up, man. <laughs> we finna go to town. We're going to take care of this fool. That's exactly what he was. But David was about to act rashly, and a quiet voice God sent by the way of Abigail to say, David, don't do it yourself. Trust that I will do it. Now, I want you to see the end of this. What does God do? Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. Now, what is blood guilt? It is taking of life when it's not justified or God's purpose. And he's saying, thank you for saving me from jumping the gun on this because I, I, was, I was mad. 
I was upset with your husband. He treated me wrongly. And I was about to go off on him. Verse 34. Oh, no. End of verse 33. Your description. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation. What? With my own hand. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If salvation belongs to the Lord, the keeping of that, the preserving of that, in other words, your sanctification, your walk with him, your daily walk, your daily keeping belongs to the Lord. And you need to trust in that and not take things in your own hand. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have responsibility for doing certain things. God makes it clear in his word what things you are to do. What he's saying is don't go overboard in your responsibility where it becomes God's responsibility. Don't take on God's role at any point in your life. Trust in God. So David is basically saying, Abigail, you came just in time. I was about to go too far. And you've held me back from doing that. And now I'm ready to trust in God. Can, can, I, can I say this word? There's some Abigails here. There's some Abigails here who intervene in a hot-headed moment. There may be a righteous man who, wants, who, 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 who is tempted to go beyond what he should. And an intervention of Abigail sent by God keeps him and restrains him. A soft voice. From God, a wise man will hear that even in the heat of the moment. And that's what David did. But thank God for Abigail. You could, have think, that, you, you could think that Abigail would, would, would have given up on any kind of wise voice living with a man like Nabal for all her time. But she didn't. She trusted in God. She didn't trust in Nabal. She trusted in God. She knew Nabal for who he was. But she trusted in the Lord. So praise God for the Abigails. Praise God for the wise men that are willing to humble themselves and listen to the Abigail in their life. David says to her, I'm in the middle of verse 35, go up in peace to your house. See? I have obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. David was a powerful man, and Abigail knew that he was ready to wipe out their whole family. But now he says, I've listened to your voice. I've listened to your voice. What power did Abigail have? <laughs> she had the power of grace and persuasion. That grace was based on a faith in God. That God was going to bring about his way and his purpose with David. I want you to see what God does. Verse 36. Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. It showed you his, his, his pride, his arrogance. He had no thought that David could wipe him out at any moment. He's partying, actually getting drunk. So she didn't tell him anything. Now, notice her wisdom. <laughs> he's partying, he's drunk. 
She knows she cannot reason with a man in that state, so she doesn't even try to talk to him. That would have just been an argument. She doesn't go there. She doesn't go there. She waits till the next day, and look what happens when she tells him. In the morning, verse 37, in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. What things? Everything that happened as she went and intervened with David, and now David wasn't going to hurt now because she gave him a gift. What's his response? It says, his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. Now, I want to tell you, that's part of his response, yes, but that's also part of God's working and God's doing. It's a mutual thing. His wicked heart had wrong responses to the grace shown in his life, and God cut it off and said, that's it. About 10 days later, it says, the Lord struck Nabal. It's not an accident. It's not coincidence. These things are going, God is leading and directing in every way, in David's life, in Abigail's life, in all of these things. I got another part to this sermon I won't be able to do today, so we have to continue in two weeks. Because you need to see the connection of these things. And, but you can see enough here to see that God is guiding all the issues, all the events, and he's graciously directing the lives of his people. David wanted to take things in his own hands several times, and God prevented him from doing that by bringing about godly counsel into his life at a crucial moment, and he listened to it, and lives were saved. So it says, the Lord struck Nabal. And when the Lord struck somebody, it says he died. Notice David's response. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. You don't hear that much at a funeral. You know, we, we have so much phoniness going on in our funeral. We can't even say when a man was wicked. I understand you want to honor a person, and it may not be the best time to bring out all this true character. I understand that. But I also want you to see that David actually rejoiced because God had done what he'd done. See, if David did that, he couldn't gloat in that, but God did it. David stepped back, and look what God did. The very next morning after this happened is when Abigail confronted Nabal. And after 10 days of, 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 of having a heart of stone, whatever that means, heart attack, he had some issues, whatever, God brought it on and allowed him for 10 days to suffer before he died and took him out. God wanted David to see, hey, David, I'm orchestrating things in your life. Are you going to trust me now? God wants you to see that same thing. Hey, I got it. I'm orchestrating every part of your life. I want you to trust me. And I want you to see, too, that David was close to going over the edge. God, in his grace, brought someone there to softly and gently say, David, you don't want to do that. You don't want blood guilt on your own hand. Let God do it. 
Let God do it. And David listened. Now, I got to think, David was furious at this moment, but he listened to the quiet, gracious voice. Are you listening today? Do you recognize that God is working in every detail in your life and that you can trust him? Through all of this, David is still running from a violent, powerful, wicked man for his life. But he's trusting God. He's learning moment by moment to trust God. I'm going to continue this series because I want you to see the climax of this and where it goes. But I want you to have hope in your life. I want you to know that if you're a child of God, that your life belongs to the Lord. You need to trust him every step of that. You don't just get saved and say, okay, God, I got the will now. I can, I can handle this. Thanks for getting me going. You say, Lord, my life belongs to you. I humbly serve you. And it's good to know that you can say, Lord, Keep me from those presumptuous sins. Keep me from the thing that I would do on myself that would bring about my demise. Keep me from that. And God does. He kept David. He kept David. God is able to keep you. Would you submit yourself to him? That submission looks like trusting in what God has promised. And the promise of God point to one individual, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's centered on him. You cannot say, I trust God, without trusting in his provision for our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts there. Trust him. Honor him. Worship him. Make him the key to your life. Make him the central part of all that you are in all that you do, and show it in every aspect of what you do. Say, God, I will trust you because I trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I promise to walk in his ways. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you'd help us, help our eyes to be open to see how you are working in every part of our life. Help us to be encouraged David was going through some hardships, difficulties, and trials. People who he had helped that had turned their heart against him and wouldn't help him in his moment of need. David was being pursued by a jealous man in rage who had no reason to hate him. David had opportunity to take things in his own hands and he learned to just give it over to you, Lord. And we thank you for that lesson. We pray that you would help us put it into practice in our own lives. Give us the wisdom to know what we should do and what we need to submit to you day by day, moment by moment. We need your wisdom. We thank you now for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.